from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to this Tuesday edition of Washington Watch. So thanks for uh, joining us. The Senate is poised to vote on the Democrats' abortion for all bill tomorrow. Tonight I will set up a vote for Wednesday on legislation that will codify the fundamental right to an abortion into federal law. That was Senate Democrat leader Chuck Schumer. But as Republican leader Mitch McConnell pointed out, the president's party is simply digging their hole deeper. I can understand why my colleagues want to distract from their governing record. Their policies have created a living nightmare for working families. But Democrats' extreme and unpopular position on abortion is not going to bail them out. We'll talk with Missouri Senator Josh Hawley a little later. As gas prices hit record highs, President Biden tried to convince Americans earlier today that he feels their pain as his economic plan continues to sputter. Look, I know you got to be frustrated. I know. I can taste it. He can taste uh, their frustration. I wonder what flavor that is. Well, short on solutions, the president took a swipe at Republicans. Mega Republicans are counting on you to be as frustrated by the pace of progress, which they have everything, they've done everything they can to slow down, that you're going to, will hand power over to them and enact so they can enact their extreme agenda. Maybe the president might pursue policies that would be bipartisan. That might help him get something done. We'll talk to a Republican member of the Senate Budget Committee, North Dakota Senator Kevin Kramer. And last week, CIA Director Bill Byrne said China is watching Ukraine very closely, not only evaluating Russia's underperformance, but how the transatlantic alliance has been unified in their economic actions against Russia. Now, the question is, could this influence any actions China may take toward Taiwan? We'll talk with Asian expert Gordon Chang a little later on this edition of Washington Watch. And continuing on the China topic, my fellow commissioner on the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, Nuri Turkel, is releasing a new book today on the Uyghur genocide in China entitled No Escape. He joins me later in the studio. All right, folks, it's primary election season. And today, West Virginia and Nebraska, they're holding their primaries, something that over a dozen states are going to be doing this month. So make sure you are prepared for your state's primary election. FRC Action is a part of the iVoter Guide Coalition that's working to provide voters with uh, really information, important information, on where the candidates stand on the issues. Now, simply uh, to, to access this guide, simply go to frcaction.org and click on voter resources. Again, that's frcaction.org and click on voter resources. Now, if you live in West Virginia or Nebraska and you've not yet voted today, there's still time. Polls close at 4, uh, rather 7.30 in West Virginia, Eastern Time. That's 7.30 in West Virginia and 8 p.m., in Nebraska local time. So, again, if you've not yet voted, I encourage you to do so. The website, TonyPerkins.com, lots of resources there for you. Check it all out and also uh, contact information for our guest today. Today's verse coming from our Stand on the Word Bible reading plan comes from Judges chapter 17, verses 5 and 6, and it reads this way. The man Micah had a shrine and made an epod and household idols. And he consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. 
In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes, end quote, end quote. Nothing Micah did was according to the word or the ways of the Lord. In fact, he was, his actions were in total contradiction. But yet he acted as if he was serving God. Of course, why else would he go to all that expense and trouble? The problem we see throughout the book of Judges is the substitution of man's truth for God's. Instead of conducting themselves according to God's standards, they did what was right in their own eyes. You know, reading the biblical account, we see the lawlessness and are stunned at their inability to see the obvious. But should we really be surprised? Is not the same pattern unfolding in our own country? Spiritual compromise leading to moral corruption and political chaos? See, the answer for every generation is found in the Word, the truth of God. To join us in the Stand on the Word Bible reading plan, go to frc.org slash Bible. At the outset of his remarks on the economy earlier today, President Biden said, quote, I am here to talk about solutions, end quote. But what he spent much of his time talking about, or more accurately attacking, was what he called the extreme agenda of mega Republicans. And he did acknowledge that he tastes our frustrations. Look, I know you got to be frustrated. I know. I can taste it. Well, joining me now to discuss those frustrations nearly three quarters of the American people have with the president's policies is Senator Kevin Kramer of North Dakota, who's a member of the Senate Budget Committee, the Banking Committee and Armed Services Committee. Senator, welcome back to the program. Good to be with you, Tony. Thanks for the opportunity. All right. So what 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 flavor is the president tasting? I shouldn't say on a family show um, because I think he, I don't even understand what he's talking about, to, to be honest with you. I think the one thing he lacks is empathy, and he's trying to portray empathy, but he, he doesn't get it. He clearly doesn't get it, either at an intellectual level or at an emotional level, I'm afraid. I just When you don't fill up your own tank, you know, with, with gas, and you don't actually go to the grocery store, uh, I just think you don't, you're not relating. At least he doesn't seem to. No, no, I think the flavor's tutti-frutti. I just don't think he gets it. But I, w- I want to get your reaction to the president's remarks today overall and what he laid out yeah. in terms of how he's going to get inflation under control. I, I Personally, I thought it was very short on specifics. Well, it was definitely that. But the biggest problem was that he was blaming everybody else, as he all, always does. Um, for a long time, it was Vladimir Putin's fault. It was his predecessor's fault. Now it's mega Republicans' fault. And yet he forgets, or he doesn't understand, that it was his presidency. It, where, where When he became president, um, inflation was like one and a half, one point six percent 1.6%. Now it's 8.5%. Um, that's happened while he's been president. And the, he, he refers to uh, you know tax cuts as part of the problem. And as I recall, the Trump tax cuts and the regulatory cuts led to the strongest economy we've ever had, including job creation, including wealth creation, including improvements for the middle class. And uh, and the, the cutting of tax and the cutting of regulations are what unleashed an American energy renaissance that allowed us to be energy dominant and energy secure, which was good for our economy and good for jobs creation and good for national security, something he absolutely rejects every single day. Now, now, Senator Kramer, you're a businessman, so to help me understand that, you know, to bring down prices, okay. you you want to the prices go up because there's scarcity. So right. what you want to do is you want to increase the supply. 
So if right. you're in a position of government, you don't make anything. You just right. you, you watch whatever other people make. I mean, it's really the private sector that drives the economy. But you can affect that by cutting regulations, cutting taxes, so that people produce more. That's what brings the the prices down. What he's proposing is more government spending, higher taxes, and continued government regulation. How's that going to help supply and demand? It, it, it won't. He's got the supply-demand curve completely upside down, to your point. Remember, it was only about two months or less than two months after he became president that he pushed through this $2 trillion giveaway program. He wanted so badly to be part of a giveaway program that he pushed the American Rescue Plan, which put fuel on the fire of inflation. He was warned about it. Uh, several people warned him, including Democratic um, uh, economists warned him about that. And then, he, you know, it's just the opposite on supply side. Squelches energy development, squelches the, the supply side of the uh, of the economic equation, it, it, to your, to, right to your point. And on top of all of that, Tony, where he doesn't have regulatory authority, he sends messages, signals. He talks about potential regulations. He he proposes regulations that will probably never become, you know, become final. All all the while sending these messages to the investment community in the, community in the United States, don't invest here. Um, again, I just go back to the previous administration that he loves to blame. Um, they didn't have this problem. They had exactly the opposite because they put – you know, all the power back into the private sector by reducing regulations, reducing taxes, encouraging investment in the energy sector. And by the way, at the same time as the United States became the number one producer of oil and gas in the world, we reduced the emissions more than anybody else in the world. It's amazing how that works. Uh, Senator, I want to talk about that uh, because your state, North Dakota, uh, an energy producing state, you know, the president, you know, released and challenged other countries to release uh, oil from their strategic petroleum yeah. reserves. We did that, but yet yesterday we hit another high on right. gasoline prices. So obviously that's not the answer. Well, it's definitely not the answer because, remember, the strategic petroleum reserve was was filled up under the Trump administration when uh, oil prices were really low. Now with oil prices being really high, we have to replenish what he has taken out with higher-priced oil, completely backwards. And, and at the end of the day, Tony, when you look at places like North Dakota and Texas, New Mexico, Alaska, where, there's, where there are vast reserves – you're better off, frankly, just giving the green light to the, to the private sector producer who creates jobs and economic wealth for small communities, big communities, the, the nation. Let them produce from their reserves. You don't need a strategic reserve except for a, a, some sort of a national emergency, a natural right. disaster or, or war on our own country. And, and that's what it's supposed to be there for, not that's to right. offset bad policy choices that an administration may uh, make. I mean, right. what what we need right now is to open up the uh, the exploration and the, the the pumping of oil. But the president is a footnote to everything he says regarding energy. Is he's it's very clear he's trying to move the the country toward this green agenda. He is, and the problem is much of what he's trying to do he won't be able to do because of his own green agenda. Take for example. They want to push us all to electric vehicles. Remember, in the Build Back uh, Broke plan, they proposed a $12,500 per electric vehicle subsidy, a subsidy that would go to the producers. It wouldn't go to the people buying the cars. It just adds to the price of the electric cars. But they do nothing to bring back the supply chain that would 
create the batteries, for example. Um, now, he, he's talked about that, about critical mineral mining in the United States, while he's shut down critical mining mines in the United States. At the same time, his, his in, environmental policies run up straight against his, his uh, economic policies because, again, I just think they don't have a fundamental understanding huh. of what motivates the private sector. I think you're absolutely right. A final question for you. We're up against the break, yeah. Senator Kramer. But the president, I've noticed the use now, the Democrats are starting to use the term mega Republicans. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it appears that they polled that, and that's something that they see as a pejorative toward conservatives. I noticed that, and it's, it's peculiar, really, because, um, you know, first of all, I doubt many people outside of the you know, real political activists even know what he's talking about. Um, but for those who do, I think it's a term of endearment for the most part. They, wouldn't we love to go back to, to the Make America Great Again days when inflation was 1.4% instead of 8.5%? Or, or, you know, the cost of gasoline, the cost of food, the cost of everything was less, where people were making more money, where the middle class was growing instead of the gap between the rich and poor getting wider, when the nation was secure before Russia dared to invade its neighbor Ukraine. And, you know, and the, and the southern border... Was was actually managed, and where we had a, an agreement with Mexico, and and where you know th things were going back to the way America used to be, and the way we'd like America to be again. So if he's hoping to tap into some sentiment, I think he's missing the boat. Well, Senator, that's a good recap of the last four years. Uh, it's exactly uh, what we were looking at. Senator Kramer, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Always my pleasure. Thanks, Tony. All right, uh, Senator Kevin Kramer of North Dakota. Coming up, the Senate Democrats are preparing to force their people to walk the plank again in the Senate, so to speak. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is bringing up a vote tomorrow on their abortion for all bill. We'll talk about it next with Senator Josh Hawley. Don't go away. Join Family Research Council on an exciting two-year journey through the Bible. FRC's Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan helps you to dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into the cultural issues of the day. God has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. By studying the Bible, we can see God's plan unfold throughout the past and be encouraged by how the truth of Scripture is still relevant in our current day and will be into the future. The Stand on the Word reading plan engagingly and thoughtfully takes you through the daily scripture to help you stay grounded in God's truth. You can start this reading plan with Family Research Council today. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your family and friends. Visit frc.org Bible to begin this journey through the Bible today. Although most Americans believe they have a biblical worldview, studies show that most of our friends and neighbors, including those who attend church, don't think about the day's moral and cultural issues through a biblical lens. That is why Family Research Council's Center for Biblical Worldview was created. The center serves to help Christians understand the importance of Scripture, why it must be authoritative, and how it can equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. The experts at FRC Center for Biblical Worldview provide resources to help prepare believers to give a scriptural answer to our culture's most pressing questions. Access these free resources at frc.org worldview. See the center's latest blogs, op-eds, and publications by signing up for the newsletter at frc.org worldview email. 
want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent radio programs, social media posts, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Again, search Stand Firm and download the app today. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us. The website is TonyPerkins.com. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer made good on his promise yesterday filing cloture on a bill that would make Roe v. Wade law. This is to codify this court decision of 50 years ago. Now, a vote on the motion is expected during Wednesday's session, with 60 votes needed to advance to debate on the bill. The effort is expected to fail. Uh, It failed earlier, but Senator Schumer wants to make clear to American people where senators stand on the issue of abortion and not just abortion. I mean, this is not just about abortion, but really abortion through all nine months of pregnancy. The vote will shine light on every single one of us. It will be like a floodlight and we'll each have to make our position clear. The consequences of this vote will stay with us for the rest of our time in office. The nation will be watching. Yes, Senator Schumer, the nation will be watching and the results will stay with you for the rest of your time in office. Well, joining me now to talk about this and more is one senator who made his position crystal clear. Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri, he serves on four Senate committees, including the Judiciary Committee and the Committee on Homeland Security, as well as Governmental Affairs. Senator Hawley, welcome back to the program. Thanks so much for having me. So what do you think about the Democrats, again, pushing for this vote on a bill that they know they will pass? They don't even have their their full delegation, their whole caucus behind this. Here's what I think, Tony. I I think that this, number one, shows you just how extreme today's Democrat leaders have become. This is a bill that would undo partial birth abortion bans in many states, including the state of Missouri. That tells you how extreme this bill is, number one. Number two, this is really another attempt to pressure the Supreme Court to change their decision in this abortion case. You're right. Schumer knows that this will fail. It's going nowhere. But what he wants to do is he wants to continue to gin up public pressure, which we've seen erupt into violence. We've seen erupt into harassment, into threats against the justices. And he's trying to foster that. He's trying to feed it. And it's very wrong. But, but Senator, I think when you look at these actions that they're now having to admit that Roe v. Wade is not the law of the land. It's been imposed upon us by the court. And so that's this is why we have all this talk of codifying it into law and making it a statute. But they can't muster the support to actually do that. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure that they could do it constitutionally, even if they had the votes, Tony, because the Supreme Court has been clear. Congress doesn't get to make up constitutional rights. 
I mean, Congress can't say that, oh, you know, actually, I think that there is a constitutional right to an abortion that we're going to impose on the entire country. And that's what they're trying to do here. They're trying to impose their view on abortion on the entire country. Don't let anybody else speak. Don't let anybody else have a view. Of course, certainly don't let the unborn have any, any voice in this process. So I'm not even sure that the Constitution permits them to do that were the Supreme Court to strike down Roe versus Wade. And, and let's just say that I, that decision cannot come soon enough, Tony. Yeah. I wish the court would just announce it now because every day that it waits, more pressure and, frankly, more danger builds from the left. I am worried about what these extremists are going to do. I, I just hope already we've seen violence. I just am, I am very fearful that someone's going to get hurt. Uh, Senator Holly, let me ask you about that. Uh, how has the DOJ responded to these protests outside houses of uh, conservative Supreme Court justices and churches and even uh, care pregnancy centers compared to the concern they had over parents showing up at school board meetings? Yeah, they've done nothing. I mean, they're too focused, as you say, Tony, on, on making sure parents are treated like domestic terrorists if they want to voice uh, their opinion at a school board meeting. But you know, meanwhile, firebombing pro-life offices, uh, harassing members at, at uh, parishioners at church services, and worse than that, attacking churches. We've seen acts of vandalism yeah. on church property and churches across the country. And can I just say that going to Supreme Court justices' homes, besides being really morally, you know, pretty low, is also a federal crime. The federal law says you cannot picket or otherwise harass a justice to try to change their opinion in the case. That's exactly what these people are doing. I mean, listen, if they want to protest, fine. Go to the Supreme Court. You can protest there. But going to their homes and picketing them and harassing them, it's just wrong. And I say again, the fact that Biden won't condemn this, the fact that he won't tell his people to stop with this violence like the firebombing, it's dangerous, Tony. And he's going to own a lot of the responsibility here. Well, it certainly seems like there's a double standard when it comes to the left versus conservatives when uh, they express their First Amendment rights. Uh, I, I wanna, I'm going to switch gears, uh, Senator. Sure. You introduced a bill, a new bill, to strip woke corporations like Disney of special copy, copyright protections. T- tell our viewers about that. Well, Disney went to Congress some years ago, Tony, and, and asked for a special deal to protect uh, their copyrights on Mickey Mouse and on other of, of their uh, animated films. And I just don't know why Disney, who, by the way, now says that a lot of its own films are racist. You know, I mean, they put warnings on them, and yet they want to keep the, their special copyrights on them and make a bunch of money off of consumers charging higher prices. I don't know why Disney should get special deals from the federal government. I, I don't know why a company that now apologizes for America, that apologizes for its, its own work over the years and that attacks the the values of this country, I don't know why they should get these special handouts. So what my bill would do is end them, end the special handouts. Disney should get treated like everybody else. Their copyright protections that they were given that were special years ago should now expire. Uh, They should be ended, and Disney should go back to having to compete on a level playing field. Uh, Senator, final question for you. We're almost uh, out of time here, but I think at the 30,000-foot view, you made a statement which I wholeheartedly agree with, and that is the age of Republican handouts to big business is over. Yeah, I mean, it is important, Tony, that Republicans are clear and conservatives are clear 
that big business, first of all, should never have any claim. Big business shouldn't be treated any differently than a mom-and-pop shop in, in the town where I grew up and the place where you grew up, number one, as a matter of principle. Number two, if you're going to sell out this country, if you're going to attack the values of most Americans, if you're going to attack the American family, if you're going to ship our jobs overseas and deny us work, why would we reward you for that? Why would they get special treatment? I, I'm against that. And I think it's time that we made it really clear where we stand. I think it is past time. And I am so glad to see more and more Republican leaders coming to that understanding and, and doing something about it. And I know you've been leading on that for quite some time. Senator Josh Hawley, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, calling in today. Thanks for having me. All right, Senator Josh Hawley of uh, Missouri, really fighting a lot of the good stuff here in Washington, D.C. And, and I am I'm thrilled. It's past time that Republicans tell big business to take a hike as they advance the radical left social policy. All right, coming up, China has been eyeing Taiwan is likely adjusting its long-term plans based upon what's happening in Ukraine. We talk about that next with Gordon Chang. Don't go away. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Finley Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, and the website, TonyPerkins.com. Resources there for you, so please check it out. More than two months after Russia launched its invasion of Ukraine, the war rages on. Yesterday, President Biden said he is concerned that Russian leader Vladimir Putin, quote, doesn't have a way out, end quote, and will continue his brutal war in an attempt to save face at home. But even Russian state television is acknowledging the Kremlin's humiliations. 
Meanwhile, as Moscow's special operation in Ukraine continues to be an embarrassment for Putin on the international stage and increasingly at home, China is taking notes and likely adjusting its long-term plans for gaining control of Taiwan based on the lessons from the war in Ukraine, as CIA Director Bill Burns recently highlighted. So what might China be gleaning from Russia's stalled invasion? Here to uh, talk about this with me is China expert Gordon Chang, author of The Coming Collapse of China and the Great U.S.-China Tech War. He can be found on Twitter, at Gordon G. Chang. Gordon, welcome back to the program. Good to see you. Thank you so much, Tony. So in what ways is the Russia, Ukraine, and China, Taiwan situation similar, and in what ways are they different? Well, Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler, has taken away a lot of lessons, some of them emboldening him, some of them inhibiting him. I think the most important lesson he learned, though, was that despite the overwhelming superiority of um, Russia's enemies, we were not able to prevent Vladimir Putin from invading Ukraine. There was a failure of deterrence, the worst since the Second World War. I think Xi Jinping looks at that and says, look, Western diplomacy and especially American diplomacy is not working. Now, of course, there are a lot of other lessons, but I think that that's the most dangerous one that he learned. Did the the unifying approach, the transatlantic alliance in terms of the economic sanction, which has put a little bit of a squeeze on the Russian economy, has that gotten his attention? I think that it has. He's probably been a little bit surprised. But nonetheless, the Chinese believe that, unlike the Russians, they are integral to the global economy and that countries would not sanction him. And there have been a number of voices in Beijing, especially over the last week or so, to that effect, which basically means that the Chinese may have an exaggerated sense of their own importance. Now, what's important and what's true is not important. What is important is what the Chinese, in effect, believe. And so I think that we've got to be extremely concerned that they could take us by surprise because they believe that they can do what they want. Well, let's talk a little bit about that, because President Biden says his administration is discussing uh, eliminating the tariffs on the Chinese products that uh, the Trump administration put in place. So if, if we take that step at this point, showing that we're more concerned about getting lower prices at Walmart than we are about national security, Um, that wouldn't be sending the right message, I would think. Certainly not. And and that's one of the reasons why the Chinese are pretty arrogant, because they believe that although the United States, by the metrics, is far more powerful than China, they believe that they've got political will and we don't. So, for instance, when we take measures that help Beijing and don't help us, they look at the United States and say, well, we don't have to worry about those guys. Yeah, they got more ships and more planes and they've got a more capable military, but they won't fight. And this is the reason why wars start, because countries tend to um, misperceive the capabilities and the intentions of their adversaries. I mean, certainly it's easier to run a country if you're a dictator than if you are the president of a, a very diverse republic like ours, where the Xi Jinping doesn't care what his people think if they're paying uh, or they don't have anything to buy. Of course, that's a big difference here in the United States where people stand for real legitimate uh, elections. Uh, So let me just ask you, Gordon, this question. How do you think the U.S. and the rest of the world would react if and when China invades Taiwan? 
That's a great question. I think that eventually the United States would come to the aid of Taiwan. Um, if we go back and we look at, for instance, um, Korea before the Korean War, Dean Acheson, Secretary of State, actually publicly drew America's Western defense perimeter, which did not include South Korea. And that persuaded um, the Russians, the Chinese, and the North Koreans that they could invade. Same thing about uh, Saddam Hussein in 1990, where our ambassador actually told Saddam Hussein, uh, look, we have no interest in intra-Arab disputes, as we put it. And eight days later, uh, Iraq invaded Kuwait. Um, and, of course, we came to both the defense of South Korea and Kuwait. Um, we probably could see the same dynamic occur. Um, this is just a failure, though, of policy. With clear statements, we could, avoided, we could yeah. have avoided these wars. Yeah, the words matter. And when our leaders are saying, you know, a little incursion, we're not going to be too concerned about that, uh, th that is an open door for what we saw unfolding in Ukraine. Absolutely. Um, and we cannot afford to have war on both ends of the Eurasian landmass and perhaps in North Africa at the same time. And we're seeing Russia, China and their proxies um, could very well act in tandem. Um, so this is a situation where war could spread from Ukraine, both east and west across the Eurasian landmass and to other places around the world. Uh, Gordon, the music is starting, means we're out of time, but very quickly, when you gauge the situation in terms of the threat from China and the volatility, where are we on a scale of one to ten? If ten is the most dangerous, I think we're probably at eight and a half, moving fast to nine. Okay. Well, we're going to stay close in touch with you so we can get the latest uh, as things develop there. Gordon Chang, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today on Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony. All right, coming up on the other side of the break, I want to take a quick dive back into the bill that's going to be on the Senate floor tomorrow, this uh, abortion bill that Chuck Schumer is pushing. And then Nuri Turkel, one of my fellow commissioners on the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, is going to join me with his powerful story of his book that just came out. Stay with us. We're coming back after this. Religious liberty is the freedom to hold religious beliefs of one's own choosing and to live in accordance with those beliefs. It is an inherent human right. Therefore, Family Research Council's Center for Religious Liberty strives to advance religious liberty for all people of all faiths. Advocates for strong religious liberty protections are often labeled bigots. But for those familiar with the history of religious liberty in the United States, until recently it was embraced by a majority of Americans. In fact, religious liberty has historically had bipartisan support. Today, efforts to restrict this freedom have become increasingly common. Therefore, Christians need to articulate with greater clarity why we support religious liberty and why all people are served when religious liberty thrives. Access the Center for Religious Liberty's free resources to learn more at frc.org slash religious liberty. In today's culture, there are few examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need a model of leadership, strength, courage, and sacrificial love that they can look to. But where can they find it? Try our Stand Courageous Men's Ministry. We seek to help men develop a strong, biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. 
men who will stand courageous. We invite you to join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who struggle with the same issues you do and will invest in unpacking our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can have the generational influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. At Family Research Council, we want to be able to keep you informed on our latest resources and events. Due to the growing threat of tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've created a tech subscription platform so that we can stay connected. So if we get canceled, you can continue to receive updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742. Welcome back. I'm Tony Perkins, and this is Washington Watch, the website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, uh, Nuri Turkel is going to be joining us in a few moments. He's caught up in D.C. traffic, which uh, sometimes can be a bear. Uh, But I want to go back to the issue that Senator Chuck Schumer is pushing. There will be a vote tomorrow on a bill on the Senate floor, which they seek to codify Roe v. Wade. Now, they've already voted on this, and it's gone down. They, they only have they have to have 60 votes. They, only, uh, they probably won't even get 50 uh, to move it forward. But I want to play another. I want to play this clip again of uh, Senator Schumer, clip two. The vote will shine light on every single one of us. It will be like a floodlight, and we'll each have to make our position clear. The consequences of this vote will stay with us for the rest of our time in office. The nation will be watching. <laughs> I mean, there's truth there. The nation is watching. And I do hope, I hope, and I pray that the consequences will stick with them for the rest of their time in offer, office. Senator uh, Richard Blumenthal of uh, Connecticut said this, he quote, he uh, t- talking about the vote coming up tomorrow. He said, quote, every senator will be held accountable. Reproductive rights will be on the ballot this November, end quote. This is what this is all about. I mean, they know they can't advance this bill, but they're trying to message to their base. But this is what I would say, uh, Senator Blumenthal. Yes, every senator will be held accountable. Both parties will be held accountable because on the ballot this fall will be death and life. That's what this is about. This is not about reproductive rights. Oh, that sounds so nice. Let's talk about what this really is. This is about continuing 50 years of what the court has imposed upon this nation, and it is abortion on demand through all nine months of pregnancy. And now we see states like Maryland and California that want to go beyond birth. We're about four countries that are this extreme on abortion. And this is what the Democratic Party in the United States stand for, stands for, and they want you to pay for it. 
But to, to, here with me to talk just a little bit more about what this bill actually does so that you know that this is not hyperbole when we're talking about it being extreme uh, is Connor Simmelsberger. He is the director of federal affairs and the life and human dignity here at the Family Research Council. Connor, welcome back to the program. Great to be back, Tony. All right, we just touched on this earlier with Senator Holly, but go into some of the aspects of this bill that really illustrates just how extreme it is. Yeah, what the, as Chuck Schumer says, the codify Roe bill, uh, it, it's first just good to understand what does that mean? Even if this was a bill that just codified Roe, what would that mean? And it's exactly what you explained. It's abortion on demand through all nine months of pregnancy. That's what Roe allows. And that's what Roe has put on our, uh, all 50 states for the last uh, 50 years. And so they don't just want to codify that in the statute so uh, the states, the people, don't have any say over their abortion laws. They want to go a step further to say if you're a state and you've passed laws over the last 50 years for ultrasound requirements, uh, parental notice, uh, parental consent, even uh, sex selection abortion prohibitions, uh, sorry, but those laws no longer apply. And you, all 50 states, have to accept this radical abortion ideology that the Democrat Party has attached themselves to. So, so Connor, let's be very, very clear here. This is not maintaining status quo. This is about, as you said, taking a huge eraser and just erasing all pro-life legislation that has become law in the last 49 years and just removing it from the books at the state level and saying, this is what you will have to live with, abortion through all nine months of pregnancy. That's exactly right. You know, Senator Marshall out of Kansas was on the Senate floor just a little while ago, who's who's an OBGYN himself. And he, he put it perfectly. This puts folks like himself in jeopardy. Those doctors, uh, nurse practitioners that deal with this type of care, uh, that go into this field because they want to bring life into the world, uh, they're right in the crosshairs. All these conscious protection laws in the state level, even the federal level, that have been enacted again. Uh, whenever they want to codify this right, any objectors to that right, even a medical professional, maybe have to force to participate in this horrific practice. Now, do we have some resources for, uh, for folks on this uh, issue? We do. Uh, we hope that you take action like we always say, you know, contact your senators. Uh, Tony has said that they've already voted, but we need to make sure that uh, no senators switch their votes. So uh, you can check out our, our action website to, to get details on how to contact your legislator. We also have some talking points that explain all the details of the bill at frc.org slash codify row. All right. And um, I think we might have, uh, let me see, if we don't have it, we'll get it up at TonyPerkins.com or you can go to FRC Action. Dot org and contact your senators. As, as Connor was saying, they, they voted on this previously. We don't anticipate. Do, I mean, do we anticipate anybody changing their vote on this from the previous vote just a couple it's months really ago? It's really just a plug in place of it was February, the last vote. And I'll just say that Senator Bob Casey of my home state, who sort of tangentially danced around the issue last vote, he just put out a statement, not just reaffirming his vote to vote for cloture, which is the vote tomorrow. But he said if we would actually move to a final passage vote, uh, Senator Casey, Mr. Pro-Life Senator from Pennsylvania, said he would actually vote for this final bill to pass. You know, that, that shows just how extreme the Democratic Party has become on this, because his father, who had been the governor of Pennsylvania, was really kind of the last of the pro-life Democrats, kind of squeezed out of his own party because of his strong pro-life stand as a Democrat and his son running on his coattails or his legacy as a as a pro-life uh, elected official has uh, been anything but. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. It's it's sad state of affairs, but at the same time, uh, you see the the strength of now the the Republican Party just embracing the life issue uh, from all levels down. What we had with President Trump here in D.C. Uh, and now in our Congress in the state, so that's going to be a big issue, and that's what we want to continue to bring more pro-life leaders here to D.C. and across the states to really uh, continue to promote this issue. Well, and Connor, speaking to that, I know this isn't uh, this isn't your area of expertise at FRC, but uh, you know, just looking at the polling data. This is not a winning issue for Democrats. The American people are not with them when it comes to abortion on demand through all nine months of pregnancy. So is this simply this, you know, trying to uh, pacify this extreme base that the Democratic Party now has? Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, we looked at a lot of this polling data, and I just have to say I can't underscore enough how much the American people are on the life side. When the Democrats give you one choice, you got one choice now on the life issue if you're a Democrat, and that's abortion on demand. That's it, because they've had to drift so far to the left that any other deviation from that, even a restriction at viability, which is what Roe allowed, is far out of step with where the Democrats are. And the polling data just shows time and time again that not just that the life issue is winning, but when framed correctly, people don't want what Roe v. Wade says, which is nine unelected justices deciding our abortion laws. The people want to decide. Uh, and that's where we need to go and to, to fight for a day that uh, one day when all life is protected in our society. But that's just an issue that the polling data, they're running scared from. And so they unleashed the winds, as Chuck Schumer said, with this leaked opinion. And it doesn't seem to be paying off for them politically. All right. Uh, Connor Simmelsberger, thanks so much for uh, joining us and giving us that update. Always a pleasure, Tony. And, folks, I, I do want to encourage you to take action, contact your senators, and let them know where you stand on this important issue. Again, you can go to TonyPerkins.com or FRCaction.org. Well, we spent a lot of time uh, in the last couple of years talking about China. Well, in recent years, the Chinese Communist Party has been drawing unwanted attention for rounding up as many as 3 million Uyghurs and putting them in so-called re-education camps that are really concentration camps with high-tech security. But, of course, Chinese re-education camps have been around for a while. In fact, my next guest was born in one in the throes of Mao Zedong's cultural revolution. Thankfully, he was able to survive and eventually make his way to the United States, where he became the first Uyghur to earn an American law degree. And he tells his personal story in his just-released book, No, No Escape. He joins me now in studio. He made it here to share his powerful story. Nuri Turkel is a Uyghur human rights advocate. He is the chairman of the board for the Uyghur Human Rights Project, which he co-founded in 2003. He has also served alongside me as vice chair of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. Nuri, good to have you in the studio. Thank you so much, Tony. Glad nice you, to be uh, here. Glad you made it. Thank you. Thank you. Let, let me, we don't have a lot of time, so I want to jump into this, uh, but, but kind of the personal side, because you've been on the program before. We've talked about Uyghurs and what's happening here, but your mother was first arrested when she was about six months pregnant. And she was at the age of 19. Tell us about your time uh, of childhood and, and, and how this has impacted you. You know, my uh, passion for advocating uh, human rights, religious freedom, started when I was even before born into this world. Uh, the way that I was born um, in the captivity uh, in a re-education camp at, during the height of Cultural Revolution shaped my worldview not only to advocate um, for those who share the same cultural and religious background, but also those who are experiencing similar uh, repression, persecution, because of what they practice um, 
in their private lives, in their spirituality, way of life, belief, um, and adherence to uh, liberty, uh, right. human freedom. So um, my mother's uh, influence in me uh, throughout my childhood was profound. Um, I learned uh, how to appreciate life and other people from my mother. And my intellectual source of inspiration uh, had been my father, who recently passed away. So my life, uh, being born in re-education camp, I'm now fighting alongside you against the modern-day concentration camps, uh, is one of the many untold stories that the world should know about. I wrote this book to uh, accomplish uh, three basic goals. One, to tell stories, um, tell my own stories and that of others' story. And then two, um, expose uh, the true nature of this communist regime in Beijing that has been so brutal against uh, religious practitioners, uh, Catholics, uh, Buddhists, uh, Tibetans, and Muslim Uyghurs. And then three, I want to make it relatable to general public that it's no longer just another human rights atrocity. It's human rights abuses. This is about who we are as a civilization, who we are as a free people, and who we are as a people um, who defends, uh, protects uh, liberty, uh, democratic freedom around the world. Out today, No Escape by Nuri Turkel. Where can folks get a copy? Uh, they can go to HarperCollins' website or their favorite online bookstores like Amazon to purchase their copy. And I know you, you wanted me to do the audio version, but uh, too many Chinese names in here, and I struggle with the Chinese names. <laughs> you have a beautiful voice, Tony. I'll be honored if you did the audio for me. Let's talk. I, I know you and I have talked about your father who recently passed away, and, and both your mother and father were not able to come to the United States. They're still Your mother's still in China. Your father, that's where he passed away. How did you get to the United States? I was fortunate. Um, I was one of the few fortunate uh, Uyghurs who managed to get a passport and U.S. visa to come to this wonderful country uh, about 27, 8 years ago. I came here as a student uh, to pursue graduate education. And after tasting freedom in the United States, I've become an advocate. I, I spent literally two decades. And, and you're, you're the Chinese Communist Party's worst nightmare. <laughs> I mean, they don't like you. So are you, Tony? Okay, well, I know. I know we, were, uh, we, we were uh, we were sanctioned for right. us promoting. But I mean, but you you really know what's going on there, and you tell those stories. Unfortunately, I lived all through all yeah. of it um, in the last five decades. So uh, they can't say you're making it up. No, I can, they cannot. They cannot look me in their eye. That's uh, saying that they are making up anything. I lived through everything of uh, every repressive uh, policy implementations. Uh, starting from the re-education to today's industrial skill concentration camps that I'm fighting to uh, shut down. So did the Trump administration, when they started taking a harder line with China, is that helping? Did that help? Um, the President Trump and his team uh, did something remarkable in the United States and on our public discourse to normalize calling China's regime out. Before that, it was almost taboo that business leaders, uh, academics, uh, scholars in the various think tank told American people repeatedly that we need this country for its cheap products. We need this country in global um, regional issues, climate change, uh, counterterrorism. And guess what? They're not only not failing to uh, fulfill that obligation as the international player, but now today uh, Xi Jinping's China is helping Putin uh, right. and, the, and the ongoing um, war in Ukraine. So, so, so this regime is something that the international community must uh, pay close attention to. This is, uh, this is a regime that's not going to go anywhere. As long as the Communist Party uh, rules this country, 
Is there a hope that if you see Western civilization stand up for human rights, religious freedom, as you and I have on the commission, as there some in the State Department doing not as strong this administration as the last, is there a chance that we could see a fissure, a break there in China that could open up freedom to the to the Chinese I, people? Because the Chinese people are for us. They're, they're with us. They I, want freedom. Absolutely. I am a, I'm an optimist by nature. Uh, when I started this struggle, the current struggle, uh, three, four years ago, I, frankly speaking, never thought that we would have a bipartisan support, President Trump signing the first Uyghur bill that you supported and President Trump's administration uh, calling it genocide, as my co-commissioners, uh, including Yosef, signed a letter to actually right. ask for that determination. And also the same policy has been continued today. Right. Right. And both presidents signed two pieces of legislation. And also the both presidents, uh, both administrations, have imposed more than 100 punitive sanctions against the Chinese entities, including all of the brand-name technology firms that developed, as you're aware, through our hearings, that uh, developed a, a most intrusive, pervasive uh, uh, technology, surveillance techniques, not only utilizing against their own people, but now spreading around the world. That is a threat to Western civilization. That is a threat to religious yeah. freedom. That is a threat to um, a civilization, if you will. And we have to continue to build this global effort to stand. In the United States, the United States has to lead the way. Nuri, unfortunately, we're out of time. I'd love to sit and talk with you even more because... Uh, the book, telling these stories, it is uh, is riveting, and of course, uh, having worked alongside you and knowing your passion for religious freedom, uh, I encourage people to pick up a copy, No Escape by Nuri Turkel. Uh, Nuri, always great to see you. And by the way, here's your own stand mug. I want you to take that with you because you're standing for religious freedom. Thank you, Tony. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you for lending your voice. You started uh, educating. American public way back even before we met. All right. Nuri Turkel. Folks, thanks so much for joining us. We're out of time. But I want to leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul. He said when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you, when you have taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.